Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are going to be diving into a bit of a controversial and sensitive subject. You know, Mark and I were literally just moments ago talking about how this is a really sensitive subject for so many of us, myself included. Most of us will know people, if you've lived long enough as a Christian, you will know people who have uh, left the Christian faith or have maybe left your ecclesial uh, place in the world and gone on to a different denomination or a different tradition. Um, and so we're going to be talking about the great the great subject of doubt and of deconstruction. We're sort of linking these together because, of course, they are connected in many ways. And so we want to talk about uh, what this whole movement of deconstruction is. This is a uh, but it's been a really gaining a lot of ground over the last few years. I, I think even in 2015 or 2016, when I was still in seminary, I don't think I remember hearing this sort of terminology of deconstruction. Um, if I did, I would often think back to the mid 20th century philosophers, um, the, the postmodernist movement, uh, Jacques Derrida being one of the the big names there, and his philosophy of deconstruction, uh, which is in some ways connected. I think what we, we we can just say that that sort of deconstruction, that movement, that philosophical movement of the 20th century has eventually now trickled down and mm-hmm. the meaning of it has changed quite a bit, although there is some sort of organic connection. Um, and so what it means now is basically just a questioning of the faith. And we'll get into that definition a little bit more. But yeah. this, again, is a really important, I think, and a pretty big topic right now. We see a lot of people uh, in the Christian world. We've heard names like Joshua Harris. Um, We've heard uh, members of Hawk Nelson, for example. One band I grew up listening to called Under Oath has all left the faith. A lot of the Christian metal bands have done that, actually. That's been interesting for me to watch over the years. Um, What are some others you can think of? The Hillsong, Marty, is it um, Joel Houston? Sorry, Joel Houston. He was the worship uh, leader. Yeah, um, there is a, a big group of Christian musicians, like you said, mm-hmm. who have they they sort of already had a social media following, and so maybe those are the more public yeah. deconstructions. Um, I guess that would be my main point. As we start, some people are saying, "Wow, there's all these people deconstructing now. There's all these people losing their faith. This is so sad. This is almost like a new thing." But I think. In reality, this is something that's been happening uh, hmm. forever, and now there is this thing of social media that makes it very popular to deconstruct publicly. Hmm. Um, probably the biggest example would be Abraham Piper, um, John yeah. Piper's son. So John Piper is somebody that we've mentioned favorably on this show, um, this podcast, and he has a son who 
is very publicly antagonistic of the Christian faith hmm. on TikTok. I think he has something like a million a million followers, and that's Abraham, right? The one who has deconstructed. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So he has other sons, and sometimes I confuse their names. But um, that would be another example. Uh, there are people deconstructing very publicly, and I don't think they do it. I, w- I wouldn't guess that somebody would resign their Christian faith in order to gain followers, hmm. but when somebody is in that process, it does seem as though there is some attention to be gained if it's done in a public, accusatory, dramatic way. And so maybe that's at the heart of this a little bit, is that hmm. it, it, there's a lot of cachet in it right now, is to deconstruct particularly evangelicalism um hmm. and uh you know that that's reality right now of where we're at particularly with things like uh sexual ethics um mm-hmm. homosexuality in particular as uh people like joshua harris i think that was the tipping point for him was yeah um the the big apology that he had to give to not being an ally of the lgbtq community and um a Gunger would be another example. Uh, mm-hmm. So the Michael Gunger band, very popular worship band in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. Um, and that being the issue that, you know, we just can't be on board with this anymore because we perceive that the Bible particularly or Christian interpretations of it are just hateful. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be people of love. And so we're going to jettison that theology yeah that's an interesting point that i hadn't really considered that there there definitely is a movement within the grand deconstruction movement with a capital d capital m of famous christians particularly evangelicals um, who have famously and publicly um, deconstructed or walked away from the faith Um, and in some ways you know i'm sure that they're obviously they're being honest i think uh, but it doesn't do anything to harm their their following or their voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if any, and if anything, they they will get some cr- critique for sure. They will get a lot of angry, you know, um, bloggers who are just you know just hashing out all of the salacious details and trying to attack right. them. Yeah, and that's really unfortunate. Uh, but they will get just as many people who are really excited to hear their story, mm-hmm. and so they will get both on the one hand a lot of shame heaped upon them and they will get a lot of encouragement heaped upon them as well yeah. but that's to say nothing really of of the everyday people sure. who are deconstructing um far and, more common of and course. it's happening yeah. it's common and it's it's often unknown or unsuspected mm-hmm. um and so for these people there's really no ulterior motive other than genuine questioning and um that's really i think our heart is to speak to uh, these persons or to people who know and love these people around them. Um, just the everyday person who is really questioning their faith, their their, their uh, understanding of what Christianity is all about, if it can hold up in this world in which we live. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we should start, I think, um, Mark, by just defining deconstruction. I've already yeah. mentioned it a little bit, but I think there are different meanings um, when people use the word deconstruction. So what is maybe the most common, as we've seen with all these famous public deconstruction stories? Yeah, I would say 
well, there's different intensities of it is maybe how we can think of it. So yeah, gradations. So some some people would, you know, like Richard Dawkins grew up <laughs> in kind of an Anglican-ish world mm-hmm. and he is now today the most aggressive philosophical atheist, you know, that's popular today. I'm sure there are some that are even more aggressive than him, but... Maybe um, Steven Pinker. Yeah, um, somebody who is in in the the Christian world and is now just dead set opposed in every way to all things Christian. I mean, obviously that comes with a certain type of deconstruction along the way. Hmm. So that would be deconversion. Um, I don't, I don't really like that term because as reformed people, we, we don't believe that, that, Hmm. that such a thing as deconversion could really happen. And so I would say there are many of these people grew up in church, uh, went Hmm. to church, uh, regularly, although usually in that story, um, it's not all that regular. It's a sort of minimal commitment to the Christian mm-hmm. faith and to discipleship, and um, it's just as much enough of a commitment where somebody would say, "Yeah, I, I was a Christian, and then I did some study. I went to university. I grew up, and now I just see that that's all hogwash. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. just useless." Um, for a lot of these people maturing is sort of a part of their story where uh, it's something that I believed when I was a kid. I believed in those fairy tales. I needed those rules in order to grow up and be a productive member of society. And now that I'm an adult, I can, I can do pretty, pretty well on my own. Hmm. And, and I think that's a a common story. Uh, There are many people, even since I've arrived at Ammon Valley who used to come to church and, uh, I don't know if they've really deconstructed, but maybe they've grown up, gone to college, and we just we just don't see them anymore. Um, yeah. Now that that of course requires certain things of church leaders to engage with them and find out some of the reasons for that. But it it is something happening in hmm. I would guess every church um, in America. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. The intensities. Um, scale or spectrum yeah some people leave and very become very antagonistic yeah and so their deconstruction is a very aggressive form or variety of deconstruction others just lose the lose sight of why christianity is even important they mm-hmm. can't explain why it's really important and so they sort of drop off yeah. the radar yeah they might say it's better for other people but it's just not for it's me. just not for me yeah. i don't really see how it's valuable in my life um it doesn't give me anything that I feel like I need that I can't find elsewhere. And so other people can go to church. That's good for them. Um, and so some people move into various forms of, of non-belief or unbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, so atheism or agnosticism, that would be one type of deconstruction. Typically that's what we've seen with these famous stories. Yeah. Uh, I can think of Rhett and Link um, or yeah, Joshua Harris others um and so there's there's that kind of deconstruction that people often talk about another one would be um which is really happening a lot within the last couple of years in response to the evangelical churches dealings with covid and with um, abuse issues abuse issues in the church Mm -hmm. and of racial issues in the church there's been a lot of people who have really begun to deconstruct not Christianity in its entirety, but have begun to deconstruct evangelicalism and have 
really begun to want to part ways and walk away from anything uh, that is aligned with evangelicalism in any way, shape, or form. Often, this the understanding here of evangelicalism is a a politic politicized mm-hmm. understanding of mm-hmm. evangelicalism or a sociological understanding of evangelicalism. Um, one of the interesting things in the book we've done a review on Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Cobes Dumay is that she takes a sociologically un, or sociological understanding of evangelicalism. She does, so she's not defining it theologically. She, she's basically saying anybody who considers themselves an evangelical is to be considered from a sociological perspective an evangelical, um, mm. and so that's that's a really important step that she makes. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong for her argument. Um, people who go around under the banner of self being self proclaimed evangelicals, for all we can tell, do represent evangelicalism in some mm. way. Sure. Um, I think both of us would disagree that theologically most evangelicals, most self-proclaimed evangelicals are not really evangelicals. Mm. But because of this sociological understanding of evangelicalism, many people have begun to see that they don't like that. They don't yeah. like what it stands for. Usually Especially politically. Moral yeah. majority, the yeah. political right, uh, and so on. A lot of uh, Trump sort of things. And so people, especially young people who've grown up in the evangelical orbit, have begun to move in any direction that is not that direction. Mm. Um, and so that is what their deconstruction looks like. Now, this will often, in my sort of own anecdotal uh, perspective, this will often go one of either two ways. If they stay in the faith, they will either drift towards a more liberal, theologically ambiguous, um, or amorphous sort of approach or Main perspective. Yeah. So they, they may not even really go to church anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, church may be something they just have for themselves in their home. They may watch other YouTube uh, Christian deconstruction mm-hmm. people, and that really is their sort of spiritual input. And so they hold on to a sort of remnant, you could say, or the residue of, of faith, but they're not really seeking it out. Or, or maybe they are, yeah, at a more mainline liberal denomination. They may move to the Episcopal mm-hmm. Church or to the Methodist Church or something like that. Um, so they want to hold on to aspects of their faith. They see value in the Christian faith, uh, but they want a faith that is more accommodating to their ideals, their values, and so on. Or the other um, response to it would be moving to a more historic and traditional and confessional faith. Mm. Uh, so I know, I've known a handful of evangelical friends who have left for various forms of liturgical churches, Catholic, Orthodox, um, or, or Anglican, or Lutheran, or Reformed. Um, these Maybe Reformed isn't so much a yeah. liturgical church, but looking for more of a historical ballast uh, that is not going to be so easily blown in the wind. Um, and so they see the sort of, what they see as being the flimsiness of the evangelicalism they've grown up in and have moved towards a more structured, historic tradition. I, I think, very much fall into this category, even myself. So I can sympathize with this whole process of deconstruction, of wondering uh, what Christianity is and what Christianity is all about and where would be the best place for me to belong. If you've listened to our episodes in the past, you will you can piece that together. That mm-hmm. I was very much at a place in my 20s of 
deconstructing. I wouldn't have called it that back in 2009, 2010, but that's what I was doing. And eventually I sort of against my own will in a sense, I didn't want to become conservative or traditional, but Mm. that's where I wound up finding myself and seeing, uh, seeing what I could, could perceive as being the truth. And in many ways, that's where I still am. Yeah, we can think of it also, especially with this evangelical conversation, as a narrowing of evangelicalism over time. Um, You know, with COVID and with Trump, I think that those were two narrowing times where uh, there was, let's use COVID as the example, sometimes it was sometimes perceived that there is a proper evangelical response to COVID. (laughs) <laughs> and that would include keeping your church open, not wearing a mask, and not getting vaccinated. Right. And so that um, that very narrow interpretation of how to respond to COVID would would cause some people to say, "Wait a minute that that doesn't describe how I really want to respond to this pandemic." Especially given the context you're in, if you're urban or rural, that will look different. Mm-hmm. If you are um, at risk that will probably look different to you. Um, and so people, people would see that, that narrowly defined proper response to this thing. And they would say, Whoa, maybe I'm not evangelical or maybe that, that description doesn't really fit me in other ways as well. Yeah. I I think that, um, what Trump would be another good example of that where, Mm. um, some people thought if I am attending a theologically traditional, um, Orthodox church that would many would label as evangelical, does that mean I must now be excited about Trump? Not just vote for him, mm-hmm. but be like wearing the red MAGA hat and all that. Yeah. Some A lot of people would say, well... That's how it felt. Yeah, well, even if I maybe vote for him, I, I don't really want to be excited about this, and, and yet yeah. I'm being told that in order to be an evangelical, I must be excited about mm. this. Uh, now, I, I don't know if people would always verbalize it that way, but that was definitely the perception of some people that I know for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And so they would wonder, well, am I even evangelical? I think that's actually, yeah. to give Kristen Cobes Dume her due, uh, I think that's a lot of what she's trying to do in her book, Jesus and John Wayne, is to say, look at this actually fairly narrow expression of hmm. what is called American evangelical Christianity and um, I think yeah. maybe she's trying to give permission for people to say that doesn't describe me or what I want the church to be mm-hmm. be like or be about. So, um, I, I didn't really like the book, but uh, but I would yeah, say I think that's clear. That that's <laughs> maybe that's maybe some a, a charitable way of of reading such a book. Uh, sure. And so it, it, it's yeah. it's recognizing that it's just become narrower, narrower, narrower because of how we're supposed to respond even to getting a vaccine or something like that mm-hmm. now, or wearing a mask. I mean, that is very narrow. Um, yeah. and, and if people disagree, well, then um, maybe I need to deconstruct even more than that. So mm-hmm. maybe we've spent a lot of time on definitions here, but um, hmm. I, I would guess that whether whether it's a political thing or a, or a vaccine response, there are probably 15 other topics that we could talk about, <laughs> worship style, um, hmm generational interactions, uh, leadership style, um, women in office, you know, all of these different things that once somebody starts to go outside the the stream of the church that they're in, um, they may be tempted 
to start to ask questions about the whole lot of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is, that's something that people struggle with as they grow up and as they start to form their own opinions. So yeah. um, I guess all this is to say there is a deconstruction that is deconstructing Christianity at its core, at its root, and, and that is just called doubt, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so that would be an unhealthy, destructive deconstruction. But then what we also want to say is there could be a healthy questioning of um, the status quo that yeah. is a, sort of a form of deconstruction. And, um, hmm. you know, I'll take a hypothetical person who attends a mega church and who asks their pastor, um, I think we need to take communion a little bit more seriously. Maybe in how we distribute the sacrament, we could just take some time to do that, and it mm-hmm. could really help the people of our church commune with Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, that would involve a deconstruction of a current method and ministry that mm-hmm. sort of just distributes it willy-nilly, to be quite honest, from my opinion. Yeah, and it wouldn't and, help if the pastor responded in anger. Like, how, exactly. How dare you, how, how dare you question our, yeah. our formula or our method? Which, um, seems to happen right and quite a bit. Uh, hey maybe pastor maybe we should turn the lights up so we can see one another worshiping and it would look mm-hmm. um it would feel more more like we're all together as a church and not just looking at yeah. the front those kinds of questions can lead people on a tailspin of yeah. further questions yeah and then you begin to ask does the center hold what what's really yeah. going on here do i really believe any of this and that's that's how people have gotten to to that's the sort of i think the feeling within really the the broader church even outside of evangelicalism people have really begun to question do i believe any of this yeah and that has been spurred on i think at a really rapid rate over the last two or three years of political uh, chaos Mm. and uh, turmoil yeah uh, and things that have just been going on in our culture um yeah, and so within this conversation, the next thing we want to address is some people are, their their time of deconstruction or questioning is not just an internal dialogue, but it comes from essentially being pushed away in a yeah. big way. I, one of the busy, biggest examples of this oh, yeah. is the Beth Moore controversy in the Southern Baptist Church. So Beth Moore is a Bible teacher and was always very careful um, in my understanding, to teach women, um, to to say I'm a teacher of the Bible, I, I teach women in women's mm-hmm. ministries. Um, she held to a complementarian viewpoint, I know, at least until recently. Mm-hmm. And um, there there was some, some things where she was going to start teaching on a Sunday, I think, in one case, and she was just, I mean, blasted very unhelpfully, very meanly yeah just um hated in a lot of ways uh i know that occasionally we'll mention john MacArthur, but in this case uh, uh, hey the man has done some helpful things in terms of encouraging expository preaching and um an excitement Mm -hmm. for reform doctrine but in the beth moore case uh he was just extremely unhelpful you know go home beth moore was essentially the Mm -hmm. message for her and which has all the connotations of you know of a woman yes you just belong stay in, in the, the home, home yeah go away be bare feet and yeah be bare feet the, and pregnant and yeah pregnant and right in the and, kitchen and so so what beth moore was i would say pushed out by a lot of mean people who just didn't really understand i think the perspective that she was taking um yeah. and that can happen at a church when 
somebody wears a mask or somebody um, gets you know talks about a vaccine or or not getting vaccinated on the other hand like this cuts both ways I would say that people can be pushed out um, especially you see in the Roman Catholic Church um, abuse yeah. cases um, this deconstruction isn't just oh somebody's internal problem that they're dealing with their temptation quite often that is pushed along by dysfunction in churches and mm-hmm. uh, people acting in an unchristian way towards each other. Yeah, so there's often that sort of reactionary response of people, like in this case, MacArthur, who we would say was wrong to, to say that to her. Um, and so often I think what pe- with people's reactions, they become so mm-hmm. hardened against people who have any questions or any doubt mm-hmm. that they then set themselves up for failure. I'm yeah. not saying John MacArthur is going to deconstruct anytime soon. I'm not predicting that <laughs> by any means, but I think a lot of people who, especially um, people who aren't deeply catechized, aren't don't have a, a really mm-hmm. strong history of formation in the church. They get scared when their friends and family are leaving the church. And so they get almost angry and defensive against them and can, do more to hurt their friends and family's faith than to help it. But then they mm. often themselves will get so hardened and they will begin to lose sight of reality. And so they may begin to excuse what's happening in their church. If their church is committing yeah. abusive crimes against people, they may want to cover it up and not want to, to show it. They may just want to ignore reality. They may want to ignore things that are happening that are unhealthy in their church um, yeah. and that eventually sets them up for failure. I think themselves, maybe the one day they will hit a brick wall of doubt and questions themselves and that will not be, be helpful for them, uh, in the future. Yeah. Cause they've been convincing themselves. I can't, I shouldn't deal with this. This isn't yeah. real. This isn't real. You know, church people are supposed to be nice. Pastors are supposed to be nice. And mm-hmm. so it's like, a a victim blaming themselves probably in a lot of ways, Um, you know, uh, maybe somebody had to deal with a really toxic situation with the pastor and over time is just telling themselves, no, this, I've got to keep going to church. I can't lose my my faith. I, yeah, I've got to trust my leaders that the Bible says to respect authority, respect Mm -hmm. elders and, and those, the Lord puts in authority over you. And if just telling themselves over and over for a course of years that, like you said, they could hit that wall and say, no, it's all a manipulation it's all a power game um mm-hmm. and i'm done with it all so I, I think you're absolutely right that yeah. when when people because they're afraid to wrestle with things feel like they can't ask questions um that's that's partly the person that we were addressing in this podcast um there is a unhealthy deconstruction that is just flat out doubt it's a lack of trust in god it's a life of worry but then there is a healthy, let's examine this. Mm-hmm. Let's wrestle with it. Hey, I, I read in scripture here that this is how things should go in a church, but here's here's how it seems to be going in our church. Um, yeah. Some people will quickly label that deconstruction, but I would say it's just a healthy way of living in community with mm-hmm. each other. Yeah, so another thing I will say to people who are having these kinds of doubts or questions that often it's coming just from a genuine place of yeah. curiosity. Yeah. And we can get into more of how to approach this pastorally um, in a little bit, but I often encourage people, ask good questions, but be prepared for those difficult answers. Yeah. Um, sometimes we will 
as we're reading scripture, come across things that seem strange, or we'll see con- apparent contradictions in scripture. Um, just for example, when we were, and we, I was looking up uh, top scriptures on doubt in preparation for this, um, it's pretty clear that Jesus often will uh, call out his disciples for lacking faith and for mm-hmm. having doubts. Um, James even says to pray with no doubt. Don't pray for wisdom without any doubt. And don't be like a wave tossed to and fro, but but trust in God. Mm-hmm. But then Jude uh, just throws out, be merciful to those who have doubts. And so, well, what is it? Does the Bible say that doubt is bad, or does the Bible say doubt is good? And you may begin to question mm-hmm. these things. Um, and so if you're having questions like that, oh, there's a contradiction here, or that doesn't make sense, yeah. um, do the work to yeah. understand and to explore. You may have to pull out, as horrible as it may sound, a theology textbook <laughs> and begin to do some digging. You have to, may have to look through the, the index, find some keywords that will help you explore. And so it will be incumbent upon you to search and yeah. to, to dig. I think a lot of people start to get these questions, but then they're, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, a little too lazy to yeah. go and actually dig. And so these questions stack up, and then they mm-hmm. feel like they have a que- like a list of questions that's thousands of questions, and they've never really begun to work at answering these questions. And so eventually it just feels like the weight of these questions is insurmountable. Yep. Therefore, I must leave the faith. Yeah, the ultimate example of that is the uh, the Hillsong guy who left, um, you know, in his tweet when he deconstructed, basically mm-hmm. said, there are all these questions I have. Why does evil exist? Uh, you know, it was going through the list. And, and we don't talk about these things in church. And so, what church are you going to? Well, he was at Hillsong Church, right? <laughs> yeah. Where they—it's true. So that—that's a—that's an accurate critique of that health and wealth, mm-hmm. prosperity gospel movement. And yeah, and so he's he's seeing these um, doctrinal philosophical issues rise up in his mind. And at church every Sunday, he just gets—you can do it. Believe in yourself. Believe in Jesus, and he'll make your dreams come true. And um, he'll, yeah. he'll he'll expand your borders and you know prayer of Jabez and all that stuff, and um, it just made me think that, that like uh, actually Bishop Barron responded to that by saying, "This is what the church has always been talking about. Like the real yeah. Catholic Church has has always had answers for the problem of evil and and so forth. That's what the Book of Job is about, and and so forth. And mm-hmm. and so I, people will say." their doubt on this matter was so big that they left their faith. But would the same person say their doubt was so important that they wouldn't even read a book about it? Yeah. You know, it's like, if it's so big to jettison this entire framework of understanding the world and experiencing God, I think it should also be important enough to sit down and and read Aquinas or um, Augustine or Calvin or some trusted resource and say, wow, okay, somebody a lot smarter than me has thought about this already. Yeah, and so that's where we could talk a little bit about the place of doubt in the Christian life because I would say to to the Hillsong guy, I forget what his name was, um, it's, it's a good thing that these questions are happening in your mind. Right. 
if I were in your situation, I hope that I would ha- be having these same questions. <clears throat> it's it's a good thing that you're beginning to think this does not seem quite right. That's that's okay for a Christian to have that sort of um, issue rise up in their mind. If you're at a church and things don't seem quite right, you have to begin to wisely consider. Well, what does the scripture say? How does my church live up to the scripture or fail to live up to the scripture? Um, Is this a really, really big deal? Or is this a deal of little significance? Um, Maybe you think that the worship style is just not what it should be. Okay, does this mean you have to take this to your council? Maybe it does. Maybe there's such a issue of conscience for you that you have to take this to counsel, but you have to begin to think through these things. And so it's not doubt that it is itself bad. Uh, but often I think that when people do have all these doubts, but they don't put in the legwork of trying to find these answers, it reveals that the doubt that they have is a, we could say an unhealthy doubt. So I, I, people ask is, is doubt a bad thing? And I think that's a really tricky answer yeah. because the Depends Bible, on what you mean by it, the Bible is very clear that we should not doubt God. Um, and so Jesus often will accuse his disciples again, as I said, of saying you of little faith, why do you doubt? Um, and so that's a bad thing or do not doubt, but believe he's he tells Thomas, um, or as James says, we should ask for wisdom without any doubt in our hearts. Mm -hmm. Um, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Exactly. Understanding. And so, but then again, as, as Jude says, we should be merciful to those who doubt. So I think yeah. that we can sort of categorize maybe two different varieties of doubt. Yeah. Um, there's doubt that comes from faith, seeking understanding, as St. Uh, Anselm once famously put it. That means that we, from a standpoint of, of faith, we realize that there are inconsistencies and there's dissonances in what we're seeing in, in the church or what we're seeing in our Christian life with what scripture says, um, or it comes from a place of just being confused by what scripture says. You want, you know, scripture is true, but it doesn't make sense to you. Um, there there will be times in the Christian life where this happens. Um, one recent example, Bailey and my wife and I were talking was just the question of how does Jesus, if he's God, not know everything. Uh, he says he doesn't know uh, when the end will come mm-hmm. and things like that. Or he is touched by the woman in the crowd who is has been bleeding for years and he turns and he asks, who touched me? Who yeah. touched me? Um, doesn't Is that an inconsistency? And so that has led us to begin to search for, for answers and that will satisfy our minds. I think those are good kinds of questions to have. And so then it's incumbent upon us if we have those questions to then go search for answers that will be satisfying. Um, Yeah. I would always want to distinguish between doubt and wrestling. And so I I would go so far as to say, I would would never encourage doubt. I think that doubt is always bad. Um, And, and I would say doubt I regard as not trusting God, not trusting his word, the first sin in the garden, they doubted the goodness of God and they doubted the goodness of his law and they trusted Satan instead. Hmm. And so that's my working definition with doubt. And we, we are merciful to people who are stuck in the sin of doubt. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, wrestling, uh, seeking God, um, wondering, looking for answers, all of those are 
awesome things for uh, mm-hmm. re- even required things for for Christians to yeah. do. And if you're, you know, uh, the old Aristotelian statement, the unexamined life is unexamined life is not worth living. I think that um, that there's a lot of truth to that in our Christian faith. That if you're you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say what Aristotle did in absolute sense, but um, to examine our lives is to add value in a lot of ways to the things that we believe and and so forth. And so to wrestle with um, with Scripture, uh, like Martin Luther did, and the Reformation was was the result of partly his hmm. seeing an inconsistency, like you mentioned, between what the manifestation and and sort of apparatus of the church had become and what the Bible said was the ministry of Christ. And so Hmm. um, did that come from doubt? No, it didn't. No, it came from faith. uh, And Hmm. it was about faith even. And so um, I, I, especially with young people and and, um, would always caution against doubt because I think doubt is something to be repented of. while also saying, come with, come with your questions, mm-hmm. come with your sins, come with your doubt, hmm. like, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about how how we are tempted to doubt as pastors, and yeah. let's be open about that temptation towards doubt. I mean, that was one of the temptations of Jesus. If he were to bow down to Satan in that third temptation, that would have been the result of doubting God's plan that hmm. he would be exalted one day to the highest place. Yeah. And and um, so I, I I go with what Jesus said to Thomas: stop doubting and believe. Hmm. Um, and then right after that, Jesus says, "Blessed is the one who believes and does not see." Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that is the encouragement for the person listening to this podcast is to say, hmm. "Wow, there are complicated things in this world, and we have not seen Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have not seen his risen body." Um, we have not seen many of the things that the Bible talks about as reality, but we still believe. And that isn't just mind over matter, but that is, uh, that's because we believe the testimony of Scripture. And so uh, I, I think it's really important here to be careful with words. Uh, it's, it's similar and related to a conversation about lament. It's, it's like um, there are things that cause us to lament and to wonder and to wrestle and we see that in the Psalms a lot. But is the psalmist ever doubting God? I don't think I don't think he is. Hmm. Um, even saying, "How long, yeah. O Lord, will you forget me forever?" You well, know? all of that interestingly comes from a place of faith. Exactly. I remember yeah. hearing in my class on the Psalms in seminary. This has always stuck with me from Doctor Furtado that even when there's questioning of the Lord happening, it's happening because the 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 questioner the psalmist is standing on the covenant promises of God saying yep. God you have made these promises when are you going to fulfill them how are you going to fulfill them are you going to fulfill them hmm. so it's, it comes from a place of faith God I know you've made these promises I know yeah. you are God you will you are faithful to your promises but what in the world is going on that is sort of the the sort of dynamic um, of the Psalms and so. It's honest. There's, a, there's, a, there's an honest wrestling, yeah. Um, and, and but it's coming from a place of faith, and so I think that is, I think, illustrative or symbolic of the Christian faith and the life, the Christian life mm-hmm. in general. It's like people ask him if I have questions, like, 
oh boy, do I have questions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, for example, I like to re- carry my study Bible around with me. I'll be reading scripture and I'll be confused by something. Mm. And so it's helpful to have uh, some commentary to help understand it a little bit more. Not that the commentary is inspired text by any means, but it helps to make sure. sense of it a little bit more. Sure. Um, or I, I turn out of curiosity and out of my own questions constantly to my own bookshelf to certain books. Uh, we talk about Herman Bovink. I will often turn there. I will look up the scripture index to see, okay, does, does he have a passage about this or have anything to say about this passage I'm wondering about and just yeah. see what see what he says and hopefully that, that will resolve it a little bit. If not, I'll keep looking in other places. Yeah. Um, but that is... I think because I I know God's word is true. I know who Mm. God is. I I have these sort of foundational beliefs that, I don't know, ever since I've been a young child, I can remember having in some sense, I know God exists. Um, I don't don't think I could ever be convinced otherwise. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm open to hearing people try to to convince me, but I just don't think I can be. because we not only believe it objectively, but we believe it subjectively as well. We experience God. Yeah. Um, we, we, we sense his love for us. We see that his truth is true. It's being, his law is, you know, I just saw um, a bit of a tangent, I guess, but it's uh, just been revealed that cohabiting before marriage is a bad idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, hey, God's law is true. <laughs> God's law is good for us. Um and uh, the more studies that are done, the more studies show that when you live together before you get married, it's a really bad idea for the longevity of your marriage and for your yeah. marital happiness. And so um, that's just one tiny, tiny example. But um, I, I see this all the time in my life that when I live in God's way, man, mm-hmm. life is, <laughs> you don't want to be health and wealth, prosperity gospel about it, but life is good. Life is peaceful yeah. um, among people who are, encouraging one another and serving one another and um, it's like the book of proverbs which basically is a reflection on the law how when we obey the law things go well right and then ecclesiastes comes around and says (laughs) yeah but not always necessarily right right Um, that's not the ultimate trust is obedience right Um, but it's true that generally speaking living god's way is for our best um I was just reading an author last week who said before he was a Christian, he was curious about the Christian faith, so he started reading the Bible, and he began to say, hey, you know, maybe I'll try actually living out, living this out a little bit, some mm. of the commandments and some of the things that it talks about, the ethical things. And he said that it became very clear that as I did this, I felt my life improving and my relationships with people improving, um, which I mm. think is is really interesting yeah um well and i like your your comment about bovink too because i think for the person who is struggling with deconstruction or doubt look to those with faith hmm. for help on those things um you you could read through two pages of herman bovink and see this man has tremendous faith in jesus hmm. he wants to know god Augustine, a great example of that, of course, with the confessions, that that this is a man who is seeking God with all of his inmost being. I mean, this guy is using his mind, his emotions, they're targeting on God. I I read Jonathan Edwards in that way as well, Hmm. and Charles Spurgeon's sermons. Like, you just see a God-saturated, faith-saturated person. Okay, that's the kind of 
voice that I want speaking into me in my doubts. Hmm. Uh, and you could go the opposite direction and hear from Bart Ehrman or Bertrand Russell or Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens. And each of them are um, cynical, to me very uh, unappealing, um, and not just from the, the theological, philosophical perspective, but even in the emotional sense. Hmm. Um, they are angry people. Uh, hmm. They are, uh, I would say, yeah, cynical, skeptical, um, and these are the voices that many people seek when they're struggling in their moment of doubt. Mm-hmm. And and so I would just say go to the solid rock, go to the go to the foundation, um, instead of going to the 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 person who's going to fuel your anger and often confuse your mind by appealing to that kind of reptilian reactional. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, response that you're having to a difficult question. So yeah. when you're reading Job or when you're experiencing what Job did, um, and may- maybe you are angry about something in, in the world or in your life, go to the solid rock for hmm. that security instead of feeding your anger and your doubt or, or confusion with somebody who is just as angry or doubtful. Yeah. Um, and so don't go down that road. My appeal to such a person would be, be fair in your reading. Mm. If you're going to read a Bertrand Russell or a Christopher Hitchens um, or one of the other famous atheists, okay, now you should be fair and read the best of the other side. Um, So pick up a book by by Bob Inc. Or maybe for you it's going to be something by Tim Keller or... There's, there's plenty of really great apologists. Maybe that could be a whole other episode, apologetics. <laughs> sure. Um, but be fair. Uh, read, talk to try a pastor. Try to read books on both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah, So and talk to a pastor. <laughs> Not that we will have all the answers. There's plenty of times where I get questions, and I think that's a great question. Uh, yeah. Let me go do some research. Uh, I often feel like my old professor, John Frame, who has written on apologetics, he would say, if you have any questions about theological things or apologetics things, please don't ask me in class. P- please uh, send me <laughs> sure. an email and allow me to think of a response and write an email back to you. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's how my brain works too. I'm a little bit more slow and have to ponder things. But maybe on this point we can finish up with talking more. You, this is already a little yeah. bit about engaging pastorally with people who are experiencing deconstruction. Um yeah. I think something I I would say along these lines too is as Jude says, be merciful with people who are are doubting or who who are wrestling and thinking through things and really trying to be honest with their questions. Um I think what we've I think one of the things we've displayed in this episode already is is a charitability understanding that there are often good reasons people are questioning things, yeah. whether it's just genuine questions they have from reading the Bible or it's questions about the way that their churches function because they've seen things um, go askew. Um, I think the first place to start is just listen well, because a lot of times there are genuine issues that people are working through that they, like we, like the person earlier who feels pushed away because of their questions mm-hmm. uh, people people feel like that a lot and so we can do more damage to people who are in the process of deconstructing uh, by by being flippant or by being rude to them or by uh, not 
not being compassionate or understanding. Yeah, it's um, we're trying to model this with our kids. You know, if they're little kids still, my kids are in uh, preschool, first grade, third grade, and sixth grade, and they have questions. And I, I try to always say thank you for an- asking that. That is a great question. Hmm. It's awesome that you're thinking about that. Um, just some, yeah. we're trying to do something as simple as that to, hey, let's talk about this thing that's going on in your mind or that you think about when you're laying in bed at night. Um, hmm. Thank you for, for talking with me about that. Um, and then, you know, you go to the word. I think that, unfortunately, that's where things stop for a lot of therapeutic new models of ministry is just to give no answer because that mm-hmm. seems less confrontational and nicer. Um, but I, I think after we thank them for the question and we say, wow, that is big, that's, a, that's an issue that is real in the world, then you go to Scripture, you do look mm-hmm. to somebody with a strong faith. Um, faith is a, a gift of the Spirit, and so um, it's actually clear in Paul's writings that there are some with more faith in this mm-hmm. world. There's some with the gift of faith. And every believer has certainly a measure of faith that is sufficient for trusting in Christ for salvation. But there are some believers who particularly have strong faith, and hmm. we, we can go to them and, and say, I want to grow in faith. I want to be more like this person. Um, and so I, I think that's part of it is to, to recognize questions. Hey, questions are good. Let's mm-hmm. let's talk about questions together. Let's talk about it in community instead of just leaving people sort of out out in the the cold, you know, out in the dark. Yeah. But um, maybe maybe my last comment um, of the episode will be that um, for for families who have had a child deconstruct or leave the church, um, I, I, I'm I'm always saddened when I hear about something like that happen, and I'm especially saddened when the reason for the kids' deconstruction is that they questioned one peripheral thing, and that was regarded as questioning all of Christianity itself. I think that that's one of the more destructive things that happens in the church, where somebody would approach Zachariah, and obviously on this podcast, we're excited about being reformed, mm-hmm. and they might say, I'm not really convinced of... Um, limited atonement i'm not convinced of that doctrine and if we were to respond with oh then you must not know the bible oh mm-hmm. then you must not really understand who jesus is like yeah that's happening that happened to beth moore that mm-hmm. happens to russell moore right now who's uh, no relation in, in between Southern, the two. no they're no, not related that happens <laughs> to christian musicians who yeah. get creative in some of their songwriting and then get attacked um, and then they just get lambasted because um they're they're wrestling with things yeah um, and so that always greatly discourages me is to say, we're about the gospel, the gospel of Christ. And as Bobbing said in one of his own lectures, and Calvinism is not the only truth. Hmm. And I love that he said that so much because I think that should be our attitude as pastors and our, the attitude of the people of our church is to say, hopefully, we do believe Reformed theology is great. But if, if the charismatic down the road does not believe in our theology, and if our child is totally convinced that going to their church is a, mm-hmm. a good expression of worshiping Christ and it does seem to be biblically permissible, 
we don't have to treat them like a pariah. We don't have mm-hmm. to act like they are out beyond the pale mm-hmm. at, at this point. So to, to be careful about boundaries, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, there are those boundaries that say, repent and believe the good news, and you that is the way into the kingdom of God is through Christ. But outside of that, requiring Calvinistic beliefs is... Um, hmm. To me, putting or other too narrow things, view. yeah, other other things as well, political things, yeah, uh, um, maybe even more so, um, yeah, would be a, another another area that we want to say. Let's not make things so narrow, yeah. That political things become a shibboleth, basically. Exactly, yeah. So very easily. I guess I would finish by following up on my comments about compassion. I think yeah. you're exactly right. Point people to good good answers, good thoughtful reflections if not from your own thinking from the thinking of others um but yeah be compassionate upon people who are wrestling with these things it's interesting to me that jesus calls the disciples out for their lack of faith but he does not walk away from them he does yeah, he not doesn't give cast up. them aside he doesn't yeah. give up on them yeah it's all the more reason for him to work with them to abide with them even peter denies him three times yeah. uh thomas doubts jesus accommodates their questions he accommodates their concerns he accommodates their their lack of faith um, and presents himself as being all that he says he is and so i think that that is a posture that we can take as well uh, we can call people out when they lack faith but we need to never turn our back on them or mm. treat them as you said as pariahs and so yeah. there's probably a lot more we could say about this whole thing but oh, yeah We've gotten through a good bit of material here, and so we will give you guys a break for another week, (laughs) and we will look forward to joining you again next week, you guys. Thank you for listening. Grace and peace. All right, see you.